Hi folks, it's Kevin. Just a brief word before the podcast begins. When I started Season 2 of Sascapes, one of the stories I wanted to feature in the series was that of the 60s scoop. Now, if you aren't aware of this rather dark time in Canadian history and culture, I hope by the end of these four episodes you will be. From the early 1960s through the late 1980s, there was a mass removal of Aboriginal children from their families into the child welfare system, and in most cases without the consent of their families or bands. Now, an estimated 20,000 kids were scooped up, hence the name 60 Scoop. Episode 57 launched this series, and this is the continuation of my conversations that I had with four individuals who were taken from their families as children. Yes, they are sad stories, but they are also stories of strength, courage, cultural pride, and forgiveness. I feel very honored to have had the opportunity to sit and listen to these stories, and I believe we have much to learn from them. Joining me for this episode is Wayne Smoke Snellgrove. Wayne is originally from Saskatchewan, but currently lives in Florida. His story is so inspirational, I didn't want the distance to stand in our way. So this podcast is being recorded via the Internet, so you will notice a little bit of a difference in sound quality to previous episodes of Sascapes. Now, on to the podcast. You're listening to Sascapes a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. Smoke Snellgrove, thank you for joining me in what is uh, the first podcast being recorded between two countries. You're all the way in North Miami, um, North Miami Beach. Is that where you're at? Yep, right here in Florida, just a little bit north of uh, Miami. Right. Um, But you're not originally from there. You are originally from Saskatchewan. I am, yes. uh, Fishing Lake First Nation. Right, which is near Wadena, yeah? Yes, it, it's a little bit outside of Wadena, Saskatchewan, yeah. So um, I wish that we were talking um, about a cheerier subject, but what brings us together is the continuation of the podcast theor- series that I'm doing on the 60s scoop of which you were a child. And um, so I'd like to just chat with you a bit about your amazing story. We spoke yesterday, so I already know a little bit about it. Huh? Um, so if Perfect. we start from the beginning, um, you were, you were taken right from birth. Yeah, I was, I, I, um, my mom, my, my mother gave birth to me and, uh, uh, government agents came in to the hospital while my mother was languishing in a diabetic coma and, and they took me away um, without consent, without uh, any um, any warning. There was no warning. So, so when so she came, you, had you even left the hospital as an infant yet? I had never even left the hospital. My first trip was to the orphanage. My first trip anywhere was to the orphanage. And when my mom came to, she was in a diabetic coma for thirty-one days. And then when she recovered, she, she, she went back to the hospital uh, to try to bring me home. And at first she said that I was having, um, having medical issues done and, and, and they needed to hold on to me. And then she would come back. Uh, she would come back a few days later and they would say, uh, pretty much stonewaller, stonewaller. And, and so finally, so finally they, 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 they uh, gave her a piece of paper signing her, trying to get her to sign her parental rights over. Um, Did she have a clue what was happening? Did she understand? Did she ask why? 
she had no she had no idea she, she had no idea what was happening what was going on she um, she'd heard of, of, of a few babies taken before but um, but that that wasn't 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 on her radar and and uh, I think at one point um, they even told her that I had uh, uh, died in, in, in the hospital um, uh, she got wind of other uh, federal agents uh, going to the res and, 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 and trying to get my brother and sister so she had so she was she was between a rock and a hard space. She, she, she already didn't know where I was. And she was trying to find out where I was. And she wasn't getting anywhere. And when she was going home, um, my older brothers and sisters were already home. And, and the government agents were already looking for them to take them, too. So she didn't. So, so she went underground. She, she just fled. And that was the only thing. That was the only thing that she could do, and it, it, it just leave. And how and, many siblings did you have at that point? Uh, one older brother and one older sister. Okay. Were they already at the orphanage? No, they were at home. They were at home for uh, you know for whatever reason. Uh, the government agents came in and they took me. And um, not them. Not them. They were looking for them. No, they were looking for them to take. So, so, uh, so, so she was really scared and she, uh, she fled, she, she fled with the only, you know, the kids that she had left cause she couldn't imagine losing three kids, Yeah, you know, so, in the same thing. Yeah. How, how long were you in the orphanage for before you were adopted? Oh, geez. Um, I think about three, three and a half, close to four. Yeah. My first memory, you know, and I talk about this all the time. My first memory was of a big hall. It was a dark hall and there were a lot of beds. And I just remember looking around saying, this is not right. This is so, so scary. And it filled me. So my first emotion, my first memory in life was fear. Nothing, this doesn't look right. It doesn't sound right. It didn't feel right. It didn't look natural. And I was in fear. And, and, and one of those things that happened was, um, you know, I had this little voice in, in, in the back of my head where it said, just remain quiet because the quiet ones survived. The quiet ones survived. It was that ongoing thing in my, just a voice in my head. And so I just, I clammed up. I shut up in every situation because, you know, I could feel, you know, I could feel, even at that age, I could feel death all around me. I could feel this wasn't right. I could feel death. Kids were going and they weren't coming back. Anybody that was made, making any any kind of uh, problems, ruckus, being loud, obnoxious, uh, they were just disappearing. They wouldn't come back. And, and, and I just, just remember seeing this. And the voice in my head just kept that over and over. It was the same tape. Just be quiet. Just be quiet. Just be quiet. So that's what I did. And that's what I did. And, um, um, you know, even the fact that I was adopted at such a late age is a miracle because m- most parents that are looking to adopt, uh, they want to adopt within the first six months. So every month after that, the percentages drop dramatically. So the older I get, the less chances, obviously, the less chances there, <laughs> there was for, for, me to, for me to get adopted. So. Right. right. So the family that adopted you wanted an infant and you were the closest to? Uh, well, actually, they had adopted a white, uh, American child a year before, and they wanted him to have a brother. Yes, almost the same age. So he was three or four, and I was three or four. I think I'm uh, eight months younger than him, or I think eight months younger than him. And um, and so, um, you know, I kind of kind of remember talking to my mom. This is years later in my teens. I said, out of all the kids that you saw, why did you pick me? And um, and they said that I had the biggest smile, and I was running around, and I had the most fun. And you know, they had a little, pro- a little, pro- 
playground for, for us and, and, uh, and uh, they went to about uh, 12 or 15 adoption places uh, looking for it was like buying a car they wanted uh, this characteristic they wanted this characteristic they wanted to be active they wanted and so when my adoptive mother uh, saw me uh, she knew I was the one and, and, and you know I didn't understand that fully until till my 40s you know, you know until I actually won that I had actually won the, the, the spiritual lottery right. back then and they plucked me up, but that wasn't my perception at the time. Uh-huh. My perception, perception, my perception at the time was I'm going off to another family and I don't know where, and I don't know why I'm, I'm just going. So were you still and, experiencing fear? Was it fear behind? Absolutely. That? Absolutely. Fear, fear, wherever I go. In fact, it got worse the older I got. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I can remember, um, we moved to, to, um, Pennsylvania and then we moved to, to New Jersey. And I can remember I had this little go bag. Um, there was a little suitcase. I, I, you know what? I think it was a little, a little, um, backpack, but it had everything that I needed to survive. It had a little blanket. It had some, um, some M&Ms, it had some Hot Wheels cars, and it had a, a jacket in case it got cold out. And, and, and I mean, that's, you know, that's the thinking of a seven-year-old. That's, that's everything you need. But that was at the foot of my bed. And it was there because you just thought, this is not permanent. It was always there, and I always knew that someday that I was going to be moved on. I didn't understand that this was that that, that they had adoption. I I, I had no concept mm. of being adopted. I had no concept of a family. It took me probably about ten years old to figure out that. Listen, this is my family now, and I wasn't going anywhere. I had no concept because I would go to school. And they would talk about families, and they would talk about moms and dads, and I just spaced out during that because I, because I didn't know what they were talking about. I had no idea. And hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app. Or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcast. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Do you remember and the day you unpacked that bag, that knapsack? Not, not specifically, but I can remember looking at it and I said, I think it's time to unpack that. I think it's time. You know, I think, you know, I put one or two things out at a time and, 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 and before I knew and before my, the, 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 the jacket was in the closet and the toys were in the toy box and, 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 and although I, I think I kept the M and M's in there just because, just in case, <laughs> just in case, yeah, yeah, M and M's, yeah, yeah. and um, but um, but growing up, it was, uh, like this was the middle seventies. This is this is not this is not Angelina Jolie adopting kids out of Africa or China. This is a mixed racial adoption, okay. and people just didn't see that back. In the mid seventies, remember this is after this is in America after the sixties and the 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 the, 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 um, the 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 burn baby burn the uh, the riots in, in Watts and Compton and, and and there was a lot of um, a lot of racial tensions going on and then and then there was me uh, three or four years later and I was the whitest thing that they've ever seen. Um, in my neighborhood, and I can remember just 
just being stared at. They didn't know what I was and who I was. And, and, and they would ask me, what kind of, what are you? And I would say, well, I think I'm an Indian. And they said, well, well, what kind of Indian are you? And I, and, 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 and this question killed me because I could never tell them. I could never tell them. I knew who I was, but I didn't know what I was. And, 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 and I was so sad because I just didn't know. And, and I didn't know when I was going to stay here with this family. And, and this is, this is, this is all growing up. I, I, I just. Did your adoptive parents not want to sort of alleviate any of the mystery around that for you by explaining a little bit about who you were and your culture? Well, this is a very scary topic for me because, um, because at the time I didn't know, um, how to ask such a sensitive question because I was still under the assumption that if I rocked the boat too much, if I asked too many questions that I was going to leave. I knew that the deepest pit in my heart, I knew that if I get in trouble, that if I do something bad, that I am going to leave and I'm not going to come back. And I was off to the races again. So, so, so I, I, so, so, so I, I was living like the other shoe is just about to drop. I'm on the verge of moving out. I'm on the verge of going somewhere else. And three or four years into this family, I didn't want to leave. This is this is this is almost like a like a home situation, but it really wasn't home yet because I really hadn't settled in, settled into in my heart and 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 and, and, and my mind. And um, um, so growing up, you know, kind of going back to growing up, um, kind of being being native in in in, in a, a white world was tough because there was a there was. Um, um, you know, we have all those uh, stereotypes, the, uh, like, 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 like the savage Indian and, 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 and John Wayne and, 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 and all these and uh, constantly killing Indians. And he, well, you know, they look across the room at school and there I am, you know, there's an Indian, you know, you know, um, it was pretty much an all white school. And uh, there I was, I can remember. I can remember in fifth grade, I forget where I was, and we, we moved around quite a bit, but I can remember in fifth grade social studies class, we pulled our social studies books out and we opened it a chapter of how the West was won. And I opened that up and they talked about the brutal and the savage Indian and how uh, Custer killed the, killed the, the, the savages. And everybody looked, this is in public school, and everybody looked at me. And I knew from that point on that, 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 that those thoughts that me being less than, now this is proven. This is proof that I knew all along anyway that I was less than. And they treated me less than afterwards. They said, this is, you know, you're an Indian. You're just, you know, and, and, and things got real interesting on the recess, <laughs> uh, the recess fields after that, because I had to defend myself. You know, I had to get violent. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a violent guy, but you know, I had to defend myself. And they said, well, you're less than the book says, it, and we're going to beat you up. We're going to do everything we can to beat you up now. And, and uh, you know, you know, plus I had the, um, um, Plus, I was born with a cleft palate too, and and and, and, and um, which is my upper lip wasn't formed um, fully at birth, and, and um, you know I say that just to say that this is you know that, you know that just added to 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 my 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 formative formative years, my chaos years, mm. you know, because I had this because I was full of fear. I, I didn't know what a family was. God didn't make me perfect. God didn't make me white. I blame God for a lot of this. I can remember I turned my back on God at seven years old. And I said, yeah, this is what you have. This is what you have for me that I don't want it. And I tried to take my life at seven years old. And I said, I don't want to be here anymore. I've had enough. I've had enough. And, uh, were your adoptive parents aware of just how low you were feeling at that point? 
Uh, great question. Um, I still had in the back of my mind that if I say anything, then I'm gone. Wow. You see that quiet thing in the back of my voice. If I say anything, then I'm gone. Then I'm going to die. And then, so I said, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Fine. So, so don't rock the boat. Don't whatever you do, don't rock the boat. And I internalized everything, everything I felt in, in this world. I, you know, it was you, it was you, and me. You against me, and I had to keep you at a distance just to keep me safe, because my mind, my my mind, my mind, it wasn't a safe place. It wasn't this world had proved to me that that, that this wasn't a safe place for me. It's very safe for me, sir. So, so, did so. ever did you find? Yeah. Did you, when did you find your identity in school? I mean, not not so much your identity as um, as First Nations, but your identity as a person. Great question. Um, I um, I was very fortunate enough that I was born with um, with a competitive uh, spirit. Um, I had a competitive body. Um, uh, at seven years old. Um, my my father uh, suggested that I start swimming, uh, and um, so I, I I started at summer league in uh, New Jersey, and that was the only thing that I couldn't do. You know, I can remember growing up, I was really angry. I could throw a ball, I could could fight real well, and, and, and you know, but but all the kids went to the uh, the local community the uh, swim swim school or the, the the community pool, and they had a little summer league there and have a little summer league team there. And I can remember going there, and I couldn't go from one end of the pool to the other. I, I couldn't do it. All my friends were swimming right by me, and um, that really that yeah, really. Uh, really pissed me off actually really really pissed me off and um to answer your question that was the start of my identity because i started to identify myself as a swimmer within a year and a half i was nationally ranked and at my age group for my age group uh, on the national level means that i was one of the top swimmers for my age age group in the country and i identified myself with that as a swimmer and as an athlete because because up until then that was really the only thing that I was really ever good at and this is and this is the most interesting this is a great question um, this is um, what was happening was what I discovered was is that if you win people don't notice what color you are mm. people stop noticing my lip People stopped noticing my long, my straight black hair, and they started to notice Wayne the swimmer. And I became known as Wayne the swimmer. And that's what I want. All I wanted in life was to fit in, was to belong to something special, to be somebody special, to, 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 to be in union with something. And swimming gave me that. It gave me an identity. And were you getting that mirrored back from your friends? Were your friends mirroring back some kind of a positive message of, hey, wow, they you're cool? They were now. They were now. Because within a year and a half, I was not only beating them, but I was killing them. Well, well not figuratively, but, but, yeah, but yeah, killing them. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 but killing them in, 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 the, in, in the water. <laughs> and I was one of the best swimmers. Uh, not only in New Jersey, not even not even in, in like the Mid-Atlantic States, but in the country. And um, I joined this club team, the Jersey Wahoos, and um, and uh, they were a nationally ranked club, and, and and they had great coaches and everything. And they saw, um, and I can remember my first coach looked at me, uh, John Carroll. He looked at me as a swimmer, and, and, and I loved that because I hated being identified. Um, as something else, as something less than, and you know, I can remember just loving going to to to, to the pool, um, 
and, you know, just having that connection. I didn't have anywhere else. And, you know, and, 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 you know, if you win, people love you no matter. And, 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 and that's just a fact, you know, it's still today. If you win, they love you. And, and, um, I figured out a way for, for, for people to love me, even though I didn't still didn't love myself at this point. And, you know, I was living, you know, it took me years to figure that out, how to love myself, you know, but, but, uh, you know, growing up native, you know, it's just, just, just in the white world is tough, you know, really tough. You had two, two competitions going on. You had the com- yeah. the competition in the pool and you also had some kind of a con competition with yourself. Um, I- um, I had that conflict going on. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I had that anger going on. Um, I still didn't talk to God. Um, um, I knew I was, you know, just growing up, I knew I was native. And I can remember as a child growing up, all I wanted to do was I wanted to see another native athlete. I wanted somebody to look up to, and uh, there was no native. There was no native athletes there. There was really no native. You know, I thought for for a lot of years I was the only native that could float. <laughs> I think I'm the only one. <laughs> I'm looking around because <laughs> I didn't see anybody else. But but uh, but uh, you know, the irony is that by the time um, you were in your twenties. Uh, you became the person um, to be looked up to because you became the first um, first Native American to uh, win two time, twice U.S. Swimming yes. National. Um, you became the person you wanted to look up to. I I did, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I, you know, looking back, and uh, you know, looking, you know, looking back on my career, um, my swimming career. Well, let me just add this, that my swimming career was fueled by my self-anger and my self-hate and my self-loathing. Now, incredibly, I don't know how this sounds, but it really fueled my swimming because I knew I couldn't couldn't hate on you all the time, but I knew I could hate on me all the time. So every time I went swimming, every time I trained, every time I ran, I beat myself to death. I went until I couldn't go anymore, and I slept, and I did it all over again. I did it year after year after year, and um, all I want, you know, it wasn't even really winning that I wanted. It was the fact that I hated to lose. I was going to ask you, what happened, when, what, what would you go through when you didn't win? I won a lot of races. I really did okay. on the uh, national level, all sorts of national levels. Um, out of all the national races I did, I think I did about 12, 15, 20, 20 national caliber races. I only won two of them, <laughs> you know, um, but they're pretty special though, you know, to be the top swimmer in the country, uh, you know, the U S uh, it, 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 you know, you know, it's pretty special. The older I get, the more special it is. Because uh, you know, I kind of took her for granted when I was younger, and, and you know, now, now it's just something really special. Now, now all I want to do is I want to give it away. I want to tell my story to other uh, native youths, and, and you know, and say, say you can do this too, and and and, and, and uh, you know, help out the young native athletes that, that had no one to look up to, and, you know, and you know, and, and having a hard time having a hard time. Um, when I was in high school, um, I was, uh, I was a blue chip athlete. I was one of the best uh, swimmers coming out of high school, um, in, uh, the country in, in the U S I was looking at Stanford. I was looking at UCLA, um, all these high powered swimming schools. And uh, I can remember, I can remember, uh, it was December. Which is December, my senior year. I've been talking to these coaches, and, and and they were calling me and getting weekly updates and, and how's Wayne doing and, and you know what's he doing and 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 uh, I can remember that December I I uh, was at uh, uh, winter training in, in Massachusetts. Um, and then our, our team went up to Massachusetts to, to train uh, over winter break, and I had tore my rotator cuff. Um, I can remember I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't even lift my, you know, couldn't even lift my shoulder anymore. So, um, 
So uh, word travels pretty quickly. Within uh, 24 hours, every everything has stopped. There's no phone calls. No one will call me back. The letters have, have stopped because because um, it's a business, and and I didn't know that. And I took it personally. And 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 and, and you know, when you give someone a scholarship, they're investing in you. And no one wants to invest in, 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 in damaged or broken goods. And so from uh, from December to uh, over the next couple months, I, I, I just iced myself, you know, iced my shoulders. And when the uh, when the big swim meet came around, uh, what what they decided to do was they decided to give me cortisone shots. Uh, they gave me three, a series of three cortisone shots in, in, in my shoulder. So about a week before, um, so about a week before the big swim meet, they, they threw me back in the pool. Um, I, uh, went on to, uh, be a part of a, a national record breaking relay. Um, uh, we broke the uh, national record, the, the high school national record, and uh, and after that, um, my world fell apart because uh, you know because I knew I could, you know because I knew I could probably I never probably swim again after that, and I uh, I fell into my other love, which is uh, which is drinking and uh, drinking, drinking and drugging, and. and uh, I ended up in my first rehab uh, a week after I broke my first national championship in uh, high school, and uh, and I remained broken broken there for a lot of years. I, 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 I took me years to to uh, take a sober breath after that. Really did. Um, you know, even though um, I mean, I sobered up a little bit. I, I, I you know, we spoke yesterday and. Uh, I think I stayed uh, sober for about a year, and then uh, I jumped in the pool for two or three months, four months, and then uh, went to YMCA Nationals, uh, Long Course Nationals, um, a year and a half after I, 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 I tore my rotator cuff. <laughs> I jumped in the pool, and I broke, uh, I think, another three or four national records, and then uh, and then I got out of <laughs> – and then I, I, I wasn't even dried off from uh, – from swimming yet, and I uh, got offered a, a Division One uh, scholarship to uh, LaSalle University in uh, in Philadelphia. And uh, you know, uh, you know, in hindsight, it's pretty funny, but I bet he didn't know he was getting a drunk Indian for, <laughs> for us. You know, drunk, angry, disturbed Indian for uh, he was given the scholarship. I'm looking, I'm like, do you really want me to swim for you? And, and yeah, anyway. Does that get you back on track having that having that program to commit to? Uh, no, um, no. Actually, um, I actually dragged myself out of that scholarship. I I, I uh, couldn't stop drinking, and uh, like even though I broke uh, three or four there, uh, like even though I kept on winning, I you know this is kind of a funny story, but um, I you know I can remember showing up to a swim meet drunk, and uh, just like. Uh, I couldn't even stand up. I couldn't even stand up. And, and I can remember just going in the pool and saying, oh, my God, I got to swim. And I got on the block. I couldn't even stay steady on the block. And I jumped in. The, I, I I swam the whole race drunk. And I won. I I, I killed him. I, you know, I, I, I just killed him. And I got up and I staggered out. And I went right to the locker room. And then my coach came in and said, what the? what the F was that? And I said, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I simply didn't know what I was doing. And, and I didn't know I was an alcoholic. I didn't know I could stop. I, I had nothing. All I knew was that I was in a lot of pain. And, and you know, that, you know, you know, that undercurrent of, 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 of anger was there. That, 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 that quiet anger that I always had as a kid was still there. Yeah. It was still there. After all those years, it was still there. And I was so angry. And the only thing left that I had to do, my only solution, was to either kill myself or to drink. And, and I didn't know what to do. No, I, I simply didn't know what to do. And so I lost that scholarship. And uh, uh, they gave me um, on my way out the door <laughs> in, uh, in uh, the University of uh, LaSalle University. They said, oh, by the way, they're looking for lifeguards. 
down at the beach. Um, they want some guys that can swim to be lifeguards. And I said, okay, okay. So, you know, off I went to, uh, the beaches of, uh, South, South Jersey. And, uh, and I started to swim there, started to swim there. Um, I bumped into a guy named, uh, Sid Cassidy. He was the head swim coach at, uh, Atlantic City Beast Patrol, and uh, little did I know that he was the uh, the uh, national team coach, the uh, the open water national team coach there, and um, for the uh, U.S. the open U.S. swimming open water national team coach, and uh, he saw potential in me, he put me in the ocean, and uh, um, I stayed sober and. Uh, I started winning these mile races from from one pier to the other, you know, which is just these little dinky mile races. And, and I did a little training, and, and I just won race after race, and I could cut through the surf, and I could cut through all the uh, the shark-infested waters, and, and I just, you know, it became, uh, I became a much better open water swimmer than I ever did a uh, pool swimmer. Yeah. And uh, it was a couple of years later after that, um, I ended up winning my first national championship. Three and a half years after I, I, I failed out of, out of LaSalle University, I won my first national championship. Yeah. Did you get the sense through all that pain and everything yeah, yeah. that, that the, yeah, yeah, swimming, yeah. the swimming and the successes around the swimming yeah. Yeah. weren't going to fix the underlying pain. I mean, did that occur to you? I had no concept of that. Uh, all I knew was um, I had to blot out the intolerable me, and I couldn't do it. The intolerable for me, and um, um, you know, you know, it wasn't until uh, this is one of the saddest points in my life, and. Um, I, I I I had um, I had retired from from swimming. I I I I gone through about eight years of a marathon swimming training and got a little tired of that. And um, uh, still was swimming a little bit, but not on the national level. And uh, was doing lifeguard races, uh, South Florida lifeguard races. And uh, I was sitting on the beach. It was November of. Uh, and I got a phone call from my my brother in Boston and uh, he said uh, I think you better come home I think you better come home and I said why? I said mom mom passed away mom passed away and uh, I had been um, I had been real close to my family but that was the only family that I knew and I knew that that, that that my mom, that moms, that moms are very special. And I knew deep down somewhere, somewhere in my heart, um, I found out when she was gone, I had a lot of love for her. I had a lot of love for her. And I can remember uh, they pulled me off the beach in, in Hollywood, Florida, and they gave me the phone and said, my brother was on the other line and he said, mommy, you passed away. We got a plane ticket for you waiting at the airport. So... So off I went. So off I went to uh, to Boston and, and uh, to the funeral home. And uh, the next day was the most pivotal day of my life. And I can remember looking at my mom in that funeral home for the last time. And there was a sense of mourning and there was a sense of loss. And I said, oh, my God, I had been feeling like this my entire life and never even knew it. Never even, I had no idea I was sad. The worst thing about it boggled my mind. I said, oh my God, I've been sad. I've been mourning my entire life and I never even knew. And I made a commitment to myself. I said, I'm going to bury my mom, the only mom I never known. And Margaret Snowbird is her name. And I love her very much. And I buried her. Tears running down my face. I, I buried her, but I made a commitment to myself. I said, I bet you I have another mother out there somewhere. I bet you I do. And I'm going to find her. And I don't care if it kills me. I'm going to find her. 
I hope you're enjoying this episode. Did you know that all episodes of Sascapes can be downloaded or streamed for free? You can find us in the iTunes Store, on Stitcher Radio, and at iHeartCulture.ca. And I'm so excited to announce that Sascapes now has its own app for both Apple and Android devices. Head over to the App Store or Google Play and have Sascapes at your fingertips with just one easy tap. Remember, we love hearing from you with your feedback in the review section. And now, back to the podcast. And so, uh, so I spent the next two weeks taking care of my father, teaching him how to cook and shop and all that stuff. And then I had to go back to Florida. But on my way back to Florida, I, 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 I secretly taken my adoption records, all my adoption records, back to Florida. And I said, "Well, this is this is on me now. This is this this is my game. This is this is my story. This is my life. I have to find what's right here because this hasn't been right." For so long, I'm 32 years old. I lost one mother, and 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 that day I realized I lost two mothers. Nobody in 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 in, in, in one life should lose two mothers. The pain is just too great. It's too horrible to take. And 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 I spent the next seven years trying to tracking down what those adoption records were, what they meant. You know, I, I just connected the dots. And I ended up with three names and three numbers. All, all Nora Smoke was my mother. Nora Smoke, Nora Smoke, Nora Smoke. And I sat on that for a year. I said, this is it. I even had the location of Wadena, Saskatchewan. One of them was in Wadena, Saskatchewan. Why did you sit on it for a year? Because if I called, I said, Mom, this is Wayne. I'm your long-lost son. And if she were to say, oh, well, you're product of rape. Oh, you're product of incest. Oh, you're product of a one-night stand. I really, don't want, I really don't want you in my life. I would put a bullet in my head. So you needed to be ready for, the, for whatever I, happened. I needed something. I needed something. I needed something to buffer that, that, that blow. And uh, it was about a year later. A year later, I was searching the web, and I came across this uh, website by, by Ann Patterson. It was a Canadian site, because uh, one of my things was I would search um, adoption reunion sites. That was my thing for, for, for an entire year. I just, you know, I knew something was there, and I just kind of searched it. Well, anyway, one night, it was about midnight, I was searching the web, and it was this uh, adoption reunion site out of Canada. And I said, hey. I'm from Canada. This is pretty cool. So I went and I typed and and they were talking about natives in Canada. I'm like, wow, I'm a native from Canada. This is really cool. You know, and, and this is the first time I heard about the 60s scoop. And I said, and I read it and I'm like, I have never heard of this before. Why hadn't anybody talked about this? They were, they were as a matter of a routine in the 60s, 70s, and 80s as a routine, taking Native children out, out of healthy homes and putting them into orphanages. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, like, this could be the answer to, to all my riddles. This is it. And it gave me that glimmer of hope. I said, oh, my God, this could be it. And I text and, and, and I, I, I emailed her that night. And five minutes later, she emailed me back and said, we're going to talk tomorrow. She called the next day. I told her, um, I gave her the three names and, and the three numbers. And she said she would call the next day. The next day she called, I was out mowing the lawn. And I could hear the phone ring. And I ran in and my ex-wife, my, my, my wife was, was standing there with the phone. And I grabbed the phone, and I ran into the bedroom. She didn't have to tell me it was her. I knew it was her. And I ran into the bedroom. I closed the door. I put the lights off, and I jumped in the bed. And Ann Patterson, the PI who ran the site, said, I've spoken to the most wonderful woman I've ever spoken to. And she had just spoken to my mom. And she was on the phone for two hours with my mom. And, and she was crying the whole time. And I was crying. 
my mom had never forgotten about me. My mom was looking for me for 32 years, just the same as I was looking for her. She was mourning me for 32 years, the same as I was mourning her for 32 years. So did you get to see her? I did. Um, I went up a couple months later and um, uh, flew from here to uh, Fort Lauderdale and Houston up to Calgary and then back over to uh, Regina. And I can remember walking off, uh, you know, walking off the airplane. I said, this is it. This is, this is, this is just, you know, there's moments in life that, you know, you just can't, can't, can't even describe. I can't even begin to put words on what it was like walking, walking off that airplane and walking up to that little teeny tiny terminal in Regina, Saskatchewan, and, and, and turning the corner and walking up the little flight of stairs and, and seeing and seeing my sisters there and seeing Indians right there because up until then I had been uncomfortable around any other Indian. That's just. That's, that's just the way it was, but that was the first time that I looked at a group of Indians and I said I was home. And my, my three sisters, they were surrounding my, my mom. They were hugging my mom. They were all in tears. And I said, Mom, I'm home. And after that, I can't remember what, what was said after that, but we were crying. And she was, she was the most beautiful woman I think I've ever seen. Her, her smile, her touch, her just the way she looked at me. I had never felt that before, before 32 years. I had had people love me before, but I had never, no one ever looked at me the way she looked at me before. And I knew that I was home when I saw her. What was the first thing she said to you? Do you remember? I can't remember. I was crying. I'm crying right now. I, I remember talking to you. I'm crying. I'm crying about it right now. You know, and it, it was just, what do you say after? Yeah. When, when you meet your mom for the first time at 32 years old, 32 years old, you're like, hi, how are you? How you been? Just doesn't cover it. You know, right, right. it just, you know, and, 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 and I connected with her in such a way and we went back to the house and we were a family again. And we just just sat there and, and just all of us around the kitchen table and just just talking and, and just connecting and reconnecting and and, 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 and and you know, I looked into her eyes and I said, This is this is beautiful. This is this is this is everything that I wanted. This is everything you can have all your national championships, you can have all your you can have all your your your, your awards and you can take back all your you can take back everything. All I wanted was just to sit with my mom quietly, cook her some dinner, have, have a cup of coffee with her, just sit there and tell her that I love her. You can take all that back. That's all I ever wanted. To answer your question, that's when I became whole again. That's when I knew I could be me again. I said, this is okay. It's okay to be me. It's okay to be an Indian. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to tell my mom the truth. It's okay to tell my mom I love her. And that's what I did. That's what I did. And, and, and I can remember talking to my family. And, and this is one of the most, and I'll always remember this. And um, it was one of the most poignant conversations I've ever had. And they were talking about growing up as traditional Indians. Um, my sisters and, and my older brother and, and obviously my mom, they, they grew up traditional. And um, the government came in and they put them into housing. They forced them into housing. And, and uh, now they said, uh, okay, now you have a house. Now you have to start paying us money. And, and, and they couldn't understand that. And they said, we don't have anything to give you. And they said, well, now you're poor. And they said, what's poor? Because in in, 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 in Soto Cree, they didn't have any word for poor. Mm. They didn't they had no concept of, of, of what poor was. All they knew growing up is that they were happy, their bellies were full and they loved their families. That was it. That's all they knew. You know, it wasn't until the until the Europeans came in, colonized the reservations and said, Now you're poor. They had no they had no idea what that was. 
Was your adoptive father at this point aware of just how a shift this was for you in your life? Was he aware of everything you were experiencing? I had to tell him because uh, this, uh, this came out one of the local papers here um, back in 03. And I had to call him up, and that was a, a, a tough conversation to have with him because he, he's still my father. He'll always be my father. Mm-hmm. He is a wonderful, wonderful man. I love him. I love him so much. And uh, and um, I didn't know how he would take it. As it would, He would take it as disloyalty, as, as like, well, here's a whole other family that you won't love me anymore. But, but I tried to reassure him that... You're my dad. You're always my dad. You're, you love me. You were there taking me to swim practice when I was a really angry kid. And, 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 and you loved me when I couldn't love myself. And I understand that now. You loved me when I couldn't love myself. And he did it for years. And I understand that. And, and, and nothing will ever take that away. Nothing, no, no experience, no hug from my mom will ever take that feeling away from my heart and you know that's one of the biggest things I want to talk about is just getting in touch with my my true self my true native self it's just really just really just feeling matters of the heart you know because I, I for, for 32 years I didn't know what that was I didn't know what that was and so when I talked to my dad I said dad I love you you're going to always be my dad you're always going to be you know number one but I saw the other side of it now. Now I have two families to love. How many people have two families to love? Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, but, you know your, I, but did your dad under, did he get that, that the cultural piece of the puzzle that was missing was now found? Did he, did you feel like he heard? You I don't think he ever got that. Uh, you know, and, and, and you know, that was the only time I had this conversation with him. because it, it was, you know, he said some. Uh, you know, he said some. He said some interesting things that made me think that maybe I should probably never talk about this again. You know, and, and uh, you know, um, he's just been a wonderful father. That you know, I don't want to do anything to hurt him. You know, and make him feel bad because you know, being being growing up the way I did and being angry for the way I did and, and being a, a drug addict and alcoholic. I did a lot of bad stuff, man, and, and, and he was always there to love me back. He was always there to love me and pick me up and tell me everything was going to be all right. And, and, and he was always right. Everything was all right, you know. And, and, and But I want to, you know, it's not like that. I, I, I'm trying to protect him. I, I just, you know, some things are just just kept up, kept, kept with me and me and my family, you know, because... You know, it's it's kind of weird having two families, but you know, well, well, you know, one of the things that I'm noticing in talking yeah. to other um, other yeah. people who 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 fell prey to this terrible yeah. part of our our Canadian history yeah. um, is yeah. that yeah. Um, I wonder there is no reason that anyone could give anybody as to why. The children of the '60s scoop were taken away because they were they were taken away for um, for completely uh, false um, assumptions about the First Nations community. And so you were you were too young to be told why you were being taken away. You probably never even heard. But do you think there was a part of your adoptive parents? Um, well, I'm not sure if they would have ever even heard either yeah, about the yeah, 60 yeah. scoop. Did they ever? Were they ever aware at any point that they no. were part of something that was really cultural genocide? No, not at all. Um, no, no, not at all. There were. This is a human trafficking issue. That's what right, it boils down right. to. And, and uh, um, I'm sure that they weren't that they weren't aware that this was all they wanted was to have a whole and complete family. And that's simply, and God bless them that they look beyond the the culture and they look beyond the skin culture and they found a reason to love me, you know, you know, again, the older I get, you know, how special that is, you know, how special they were, you know, but, um, was your, was your birth mom, 
um, happy for the upbringing that you they gave you that you were able to share with them. Was she was she at least pleased if she couldn't have you that you went to a loving home? That was also a tough uh, tough situation because um, I didn't tell her a whole. You know, I told her a little bit, but it, you know, it's tough. It's talk. It's hard to talk about the missing years. Right. There's years missing there. There's time taken away. There's time stolen. And no matter what you say, no matter how good or bad it was, especially how good it was, uh, you know, I could see her just kind of like kind of turn off a little bit. So I, I really didn't get into it a lot. I told her I've been been raised really well and really happy. And, uh, you know, I had, you know, I, you know, I still have to tread tread lightly on that you know I, I to, you know that's a subject that you know and she doesn't ask too many questions either right. you know they may, be really they may be worlds well, are best kept apart yeah and this is two worlds too they weren't yeah. you know they're they're reservation Indians you know and and, and I was brought up in, in, in white society in white European society and, 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 and those two worlds don't understand each other. They just simply don't understand each other. And, and um, you know, it's hard to make people understand no matter what you say. And to just, you know, and, 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 and that's what's so important with me right now is that when I, you know, when I talk about my story, when I speak about my story, when I teach about my story, when I talk in, in public forums about my story, I talk about, um, you know, I talk about forgiveness and I talk about trying to bridge those cultural gaps and stuff. That's, you know, that's the main reason what I do, what I do now is that there's such a cultural divide between the native world and the white world, the white European world. And, and, and I think a little understanding goes a long way. And, 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 and what I do now is I, ever since, ever since I met my mom, I, um, I found a medicine man here in Florida and, 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 and I've been walking the spiritual road, the, 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 the Native American spiritual red road. And, and, and he's, you know, he's taught me the ways and he taught me to pray for my enemies and he taught me, um, all those lessons that I need to learn to, 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 to be happy and to be happy and happy and whole again. And so I take those teachings and I share them with 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 the white world, with you know, with the white culture, because it's kind of breaking down those those those, those walls of misunderstanding, you know, and and uh, so that what happened to me hopefully won't happen again, you know. I I, I couldn't imagine my kid going through through what. Uh, going through where my grandkids going through what I went through and, and so it's really important to me to to, 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 um, to teach about forgiveness and, and, and teach you a little bit about Native American spirituality you seem happy now I am I am really happy right now I I, I am uh, you know um, you know I can look back um, look back and I can genuinely say what you know, what an adventure this has been, you know, kind of take myself out of it, take my personal, personal feelings out of it and just kind of look back and say, wow, you know, I've lived a lot of lives here in my 44 years of life, you know, and, um, you know, and, um, And it's just the way, you know, it's just the way it is. Sometimes you get a short end of the stick, and, and maybe I did, and that's okay. And um, But the most important thing is, man, you know what? I had to forgive the Canadian government for what they did. You know, in order for me to be a happy, useful, useful to other people, to help other people, I had to learn to forgive the Canadian government and give all those agencies that were involved in this genocide, in this cultural genocide. And I just had to put it down. I had to forgive them. I said, okay, that's, that's, that, that, that's, you know, that's really, that's really unfortunate. And, um, my mission now is, uh, to make sure that this doesn't happen again. If somebody, um, if a First Nations person is listening to this who 
yeah. has not found that we yeah. forgiveness that is still yeah. in self-destruct it's mode. It's hard. What yeah, would you say? I know. Go back to the native ways. Go back to your roots. You see, you see what the Canadian government is. Um, you know that not only committed uh, physical genocide, but they committed spiritual genocide too. Right. Right. I couldn't. Um, to go back to the native ways, you see, my family is scared to talk about it, to talk, to talk in their native tongue. They're still scared. They won't do it. Yeah. They won't go back to ceremony because they're scared to do it. What's you the have fear there? What is that fear about? That the, um, the uh, that they'll piss off the the the, the, the white government. Mm-hmm. The, uh, they'll come in. They'll start taking their rights away. And you, you see the Canadian. Natives, they're, 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 well, especially the ones that I've spoken to, the ones that are my res, my family, they are so terrified mm. of the Canadian government. They brought the fear of death into them, the fear of death into them. Now, the Native culture is something to be, it's, it's, it's wonderful, it's, it's awesome, and it's powerful. The spirituality is powerful. Our ancestors survived because they lived the way they lived and they passed it on to us and for us to turn our back on it, man, I said, go back to native spirituality, go back to the ways of our ancestors, learn how to pray the way they did because it kept, because they survived. This helped keep them survive. This is about surviving and finding a way to love despite everything. That's what this is about. Finding a way to love despite everything. You know, and I found out if I hold on to that anger, then I can't love you. I can't find a way to love anybody if I'm hating on you. I can't do it. It, It's, you know, it's like holding fear and faith in the same hand. You know, I have to choose one. And my medicine man, you said, you're going to have to choose one. And I hope you choose love one day. He didn't tell me. He doesn't tell me what to do. He shows me what to do. He says, this is how I love it. He says, this is the way I pray. And I said, okay. You know, and I, you know, for a long time, I've gotten the same results that he is a peaceful heart, happy mind and a peaceful heart. That's, that's, that's all I ever wanted. As a seven-year-old kid, that's all I wanted growing up was a peaceful heart. I never had that. And, and my native spirituality, the, the ways that I've learned and the way my medicine man has taught me is giving me all that back. It's giving me a sense of, a oneness with creator and a oneness with forgiveness and oneness with with the love that surrounds me at all times. And I connect to that now. I connect to you. I connect to my brother. I connect to my dad. I connect to my brother down the street who I don't even know. I connect to my sister. Now we're all, we're all, we're all walking this spiritual path, whether we know it or not. We're going from in, from innocence to wisdom, and, and, and we're all spiritual beings, and, and, and we're walking along that path whether we understand it or know it or, or not. And my job is to love you until you can love yourself and love you until you can get there because you're my brother, and, 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 and my job is to love you no matter what, what age you are, what sex you are, what your sexuality is, what your, what, whatever. My, my job is just to love you, and I can't do that with anger in my heart, anger festering anywhere in my heart. So I had to get real with myself, you know? You know, I had to get real. I did, and, 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 and my my native spiritual ways has also helped me with my drug addiction and alcohol. It's just not there. It's just I don't think about drinking. I've had a drink in, in 12 years. It's just, it's just awesome, you know? It's just awesome. This is the way that I've always wanted to be. This is the Indian that I've always wanted to be. And all I want to do now is share the love with the world. Give me a chance to share the love with the world. I hope and you I'll get sh- to come back to Saskatchewan and do that, you know. I think I haven't been there in a little while and uh I'm overdue and um and um hopefully uh hopefully within a year I'll be back and, and be back and, and, and talk to my, my family again and talk to my uh, elders again and go back to my reservation again and tribal office and, and, and uh, talk about that, you know, talk about uh, talk about how it is to, 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 to forgive and to love and just let go, just let go of all that anger, you know. And, and I hope you get a chance to tour yeah. the province and take that message to 
to the I, other First Nations community. I would love that. I would love. I would love the opportunity if you. And uh, because you know, remember when you were telling me about the kid that yeah. had no, yes. no, um, no native swimmer to to look up yeah. to. There were just those couple. Well. Uh, I dare say there's probably um, young people on reserves here now that think yeah. I've got nobody to look up to. I have nobody that yeah. has made it through to the other side of anger. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and you're that yeah. person. No um, today I am. Today I am. You know, and, and uh, um, I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to, to be sitting here. I'm honored uh, to um, to be on the journey that I've been on. You know what a journey has been. What a what a strange trip it's been, man. <laughs> Thank God. It's not over yet. <laughs> it's not over yet. You mm. see, I'm on the other side of it now, and right. and the rest of my life will be dedicated to to, to, to helping others how to forgive and, and and to walk through some of the stuff that they have to walk through and and, and figure out. A, you know, I showed them what I had to do to to learn to love again. And and when I love you, I learn to love myself. You know. And um, you know, it's a you know, it's a powerful message. It's this this message of uh, love, this love and forgiveness, man. That's that's all love, forgiveness is. It's, it's nothing but loving myself. That's that's what it is. So. Wayne, I'm honored that you took thank this you. much time to tell your story to me. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. I'm so honored to be here, man. You're my brother. I love you, and uh, it's so so awesome to be here and uh, here in a Starbucks here. <laughs> this episode has not been brought to you by Starbucks. <laughs> this has not been brought to you by Starbucks. I just happened. We just happened to be at home. Oh, okay. back at home, but it was uh, no. Thank you so much for reaching out to me, and, and, and I'm just honored to be here. And thank you very much. I look forward to connecting with you when you get to Saskatchewan. Absolutely, I'll uh, I'll call you up when I get there, brother. Thank you, Wayne. Thanks for listening. The Sascapes podcast is created and hosted by Kevin Power for Sass Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lottery's Trust Fund for Sport, Culture, and Recreation. For more information, visit iheartculture.ca and sasculture.ca. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. There's no end to the stories to be told. So... Until next time...